All right, we ready to go? All right, uh, let's start with Washington. Try to divide up our time half and half here. Uh, as some of you probably already know, take that away now. <laughs> as some of you probably already know, it's hard to talk about Du Bois without talking about Washington and vice versa. But I, I do want us, and I, and I, I strain it uh, with my students to do this as well. When we talk about Washington, it's, it, he's one of those guys, kind of like Malcolm X, that when you come to him, you come with some preconceived notions. Maybe you've already done your own reading or have received some instruction on him. And you're, rather, you're ready either to defend him or attack him. Don't do that in our session today. Uh, I want you to show me you understand Washington before you tell me how great or mediocre or horrible he was for the, for the progress of civil rights in this country. And ditto for Du Bois, okay? Uh, both uh, influential as well as controversial uh, thinkers uh, in their own right. And uh, I, this is something I want us to, to model for our students, uh, especially, and I, you know, I teach political philosophy, I teach a lot of thinkers that I don't agree with, some that I can't find a single thing to agree with. But what I try to teach my students is especially the stuff you don't agree with. Make their case as strongly as you can first, then knock it down. Knocking down straw men, anybody can do that. Knocking down a caricature or a stereotype of what your opponent thinks, how intelligent do you have to be to do that? Not very much, I argue. So let's make his case. Let's make Washington's case. Let's try to figure out why he's making the case that he is, especially the stuff that just seems so whack, if anything, uh, to us, and then see how Du Bois uh, uh, enters the fray, as it were. Uh, so let's begin. Uh, just a few things. Let me just throw out some topics and then uh, some questions to get us started. Just uh, jot these down. Um, education, in terms of comparing Du Bois and, and uh, Washington. Uh, what are their respective views on education, and in particular, education of, uh, of the black American? Okay. Now, we'll, we'll see that, they, that their view isn't just restricted to blacks. It is also... I would argue, especially in the case of Washington, there was some educating that whites needed as well. But focus on, on uh, their principal uh, audience uh, in, in terms of their policies and the programs they were promoting, it was for black America. Uh, so what did they think about education? What was the most urgent thing, the most important thing that needed, be, needed to be done for the education of black Americans? That's one. These are rhetorical. They're just throwing out topics. Then we'll get into it. Uh, work. What were their respective views on work? And notice, simply because I say, ask it for Du Bois, ask it for Washington, that doesn't mean there's no overlap. There might be some, or there might be you know, Grand Canyon apart. Okay? But we'll figure out that when we get to it. But education, what were their views about work? Right. Think about the time that they're writing. Right. Late 1880s, 1890s, and moving into the 20th century. Uh, political reform political policies that they were promoting. Okay. Compare them on the subject of political, uh, this might seem a a like a loaded term, but I'll say it anyway, political activism. But political reform in general, where did they stand? Um, I don't know if I gave you uh, enough to answer this one. Uh, there are some other readings that I could have uh, included, uh, especially on Du Bois. I just, I mean, you thought I gave you too much already. <laughs> could have give you a lot more. Uh, do we see anything from the founders or uh, uh, Lincolnian in what they're saying? I mean, what are they responding to? I'm sorry. 
Lincoln IAN. It's just Lincoln IAN? Correct. Okay, thank you. That's right. Lincolnian. I apologize. That's all right. Uh, it, did, does it seem like they're students of Lincoln, students of the founders, or are they coming up with something totally new? Um, is there a disconnect between what came before in terms of these dominant eras, uh, these pivotal events? Uh, is there a disconnect or is there some connection? And I mentioned that one last because um, I'm not sure that we can quite tackle that one given the readings that I gave you, but that's just one that's out there. Um, there are at least two editorials that Du Bois wrote uh, about Abraham Lincoln that I did not include just because it would be piling on at this point. Um, but something to go. And I know that Booker T. Washington gave an address about Lincoln explicitly. Uh, next time around, I might throw that in and take some stuff out. Um, I think that's enough uh, for now. Uh, most famous speech that Booker T. Washington delivered. What is it? Atlantic, uh, the Atlanta Exposition, Cotton Exposition Address, right? He delivers this speech September 1895, the year. Frederick Douglass dies. Okay. Uh, and this speech in Atlanta by a black man makes such an impact. In fact, he had given a speech earlier. His name had, uh, had, had made a few, uh, he, he, made, he made a favorable enough impression to be invited to give a speech uh, down there. Uh, and when he does, he really makes a national splash at this exposition address. And, in, and, and even Du Bois writes a letter saying that his word, it was a, a word fitly spoken, quoting from uh, the Old Testament there. Um, most, most famous speech, very short speech. Um, what do we learn about Booker T. Washington's uh, proposed agenda? Uh, this is an interesting speech in, in many ways, in part because he actually identifies particular audiences in the speech. We'll see King does the same thing in his I Have a Dream speech a word to my people, a word to uh, uh, the rest of America. Uh, Washington has uh, a few audiences that he specifically calls out uh, in this speech. But what is his agenda? What does he lay forth as uh, the great um, lack in 1895? Uh, and how does he uh, propose that we supply that lack or that deficiency? What would you say is, is Washington's agenda? And this is a speech. Uh, that begins on page 356 of the uh, Bratz book. I mean, this, this is the time people were talking about the New South and the South being industrialized, and he wants access to that for black Southerners. Okay. Industrial jobs, skilled jobs. Okay. And so we're talking about a time that's, you know, about 20 years after, I'm sorry, 30 years after the end of the war. 20 years after the end of Reconstruction, failure of Reconstruction. So a good generation has passed. Healthy or not so healthy, 30 years has passed. And from what you know about the context of that time, um, this is what uh, 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 Washington has to offer. Uh, keep going. Isn't he also stressing just the need to work together with the white race? Okay. Uh, huge. Uh, can, can you cite... cite uh, 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 I was about to say verse there. Can you cite yeah. a, a line or a passage for us? Yeah, I don't have your guys' page numbers. Go ahead, just read what, what he wrote. Um, it would be, where is it, third paragraph down. Good. Where he's basically you know, he's using the water bucket as the example. 
The end of that paragraph, perhaps? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Fourth one. It was cast on your bucket where you are, cast it down and making friends in every manly way of the people of all races by whom we are surrounded. By whom we are surrounded. Who's the we? Hey. This is an important contextual point. Right? It looms large for Washington that two facts. The vast majority of black people live where? And the vast majority of black people are still surrounded by a majority white population. He never allows the reader or the listener to forget those palpable historical facts. Page 358 just really reinforces that when you go down below the poem and it says, nearly 16 millions of hands will aid you in pulling the load upward, or they will pull against you the load downward. Okay, now notice audience shift just by who the you is here. And the you now is no longer blacks. Okay, so he's got a message to both. They're distinctive messages, but obviously complementary ones. Go ahead. He doesn't agitate for social, you know, mixing of the races, but he does talk about that they'll be able to work together, you know, in a business relationship. But I, I think that he, he doesn't really understand the deep racism that will come from white Southerners. Mm-hmm. That even if there's one third of the population is African American, and they can either hinder or harm the society, they would rather keep them. They would rather have them be poor. The, talking about the white Southerners, than having them be successful. Okay, I'm going to state that as a proposition and not as a criticism, because then I'm, I'll get personally offended. <laughs> In other words, we're, let's, let's keep making Booker T. Washington's case. The proposition, as you stated, which is the right one to ask, is what about <laughs> what everybody knows is the case? That was a a deeply racist environment. Does Washington, is Washington not unaware, that would be insulting for us, we of the 21st century, to think we know that that's going on and Washington, who is living there at the time, unaware of that. So, but but uh, what in the reading indicates to us that he is aware or not, or dismissive of, perhaps, the, the palpable racism that uh, at least we saw uh, 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 on display up until uh, this session. Go ahead. Well, the last paragraph, he talks about there will be a blotting out of sexual differences, racial animosities, and suspicions. Okay, so, so he mentions it there in a general way, mentioning not only racial animosities, but also the, the differences that arose uh, and, and still uh, are abiding uh, due to the Civil War. And, and oh. the paragraph right before that, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, go ahead. Um, I think also he's responding to this massive immigration that has come, and he's saying to the whites, you know us, you know, we cried at your mother's bedside and everything, so you cast on your bucket and hire us, don't hire these immigrants that you don't know anything about. 
So getting back to that cast down your buckets where you are, somehow or another he thinks both blacks and whites do not appreciate the opportunities that are right in front of him. Now this brings up, I mean, this is why Ray's asking the question that he is. He's like, gee, doesn't he know? <laughs> uh, that's precisely why he has to make the pitch, right? Uh, he recognizes that there are huge obstacles in the way. And the question is, how does he think we can surmount, or the South can surmount those obstacles? And I said the South. And when I say the South, who do I mean? Whites and blacks, precisely. How does he think the South can sur surmount those? And how does uh, uh, Du Bois? But, go ahead. Okay. The difficulties that are that exist between whites and blacks in his um, response to Du Bois, where he directly says, "You grew up in New England. You don't live in the South. You don't understand." Du Bois was born in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Go ahead. Right. Which I got the sense that um, from what he suggested, you don't understand how dangerous it is. We are surrounded by whites, and you don't get it um, in a sense. But I think that the other piece of that is, you know, it's back to this. I think. I got the sense that Washington was really bought into this idea that you know the Native Americans directly opposed the whites and were wiped out, but blacks can't go that direction. Instead, we have to move in a different way. And he actually says, in all things that are purely social, we can be as separate as the fingers. Three seven three fifty eight. Go ahead. Okay, good. Making a number of connections between several of the topics that I mentioned uh, at the beginning. Good? Yeah, I mean, he, he says just now it's more valuable to earn a dollar in a factory than right. a dollar in a Okay. Back, you mentioned the pitch. Uh, I was just going to say how he stresses uh, these, you know, these connections between white and black southerners, that we are southerners. He says, you know, we both started practically empty-handed three decades ago. I mean, he's... He's saying we've, we've been through some things together. Um, okay, so he's looking at that past... He's definitely looking at the past 30 years, that past generation uh, that followed the Civil War as a time where we should, we of the South, should have learned something about one another. Uh, and it may not be the things that people immediately think of, uh, which is why he has to give a speech. Right? You don't give a speech, you don't preach to the choir uh, in this kind of opportunity, he wants to preach something that they may not know or be aware of or have forgotten or are neglecting. Um, other hands? Go ahead. Yeah, you go to the founders, so almost to some degree within the race relation, he's talking about Lincoln's political religion. Keep the laws. The agitation isn't going to get anywhere. Whereas near, near the end, the wisest among my race 
understand that the agitation of questions of social equality is the extremist folly. Keep the laws, to keep the relations solid as they are, and work with, to have a working relationship. Okay, good. So, I mean, this phrase, to cement relations between the races or among the races, is one he repeats over and over again, to cement the friendship, cement relationships. Uh, let, let me back us up to page 354. If you can look at the bottom paragraph there uh, and see what he says there about the racially charged context within which he is trying to work. And by the way, to Du Bois's credit, to be sure, he was born in New England. Went to, I mean, he studied in Germany, uh, went to Harvard, first black PhD in the United States, but he also taught at Fisk. Oh, excuse me, he, he got his degree from Fisk and taught at Atlanta uh, for 10 years. So he has been in the South, and in fact, that was when he learned, whoa, <laughs> it's different down here. <laughs> Uh, so to his credit, Du Bois, he, he knows the, 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 the depths uh, to which segregation and, and color prejudice uh, fell or, or went down, how deep it was in the South, because he lived there. Um, but he didn't live there to the extent that Booker T. Washington did. Remember, Bush, Booker T. Washington was born a slave. Okay? Uh, so very different experiences here. Uh, that said, uh, I definitely want to keep our focus on the arguments, or the, the appeals that they make. Bottom of 354, first full paragraph, uh, bottom full paragraph, excuse me, or bottom paragraph. Now in regard to what I have said about the relations of the two races, there should be no unmanly cowering or stooping to satisfy unreasonable whims of southern white men. He says a version of this, I think, in the Atlantic Exposition Address as well, very quickly, but he does say it. But it is charity, love, and wisdom to keep in mind the 200 years schooling in prejudice against the Negro, which the ex-slaveholders, notice how he identifies the parties, are called upon to conquer. Okay. I think there is a pretty direct recognition of the mountain that has to be climbed by both races in the South in order for his project to be successful. He knows that racism is there. How deep is it? How long have they been schooled in it in the South? Right? A whole lot of time, right? That's not going to, I mean, is it fair to infer that he claims here that that's not going to go away right away? And given that that's the prevailing feeling on the part of whites towards blacks, and presumably Blacks have some feelings of their own <laughs> as a result of how they've been treated due to that prejudice. Uh, they're going to have certain feelings towards whites. In other words, Washington's got a difficult task ahead of him. Okay. And so again, the question becomes, is his project likely to be, keep this in the back of your minds, a more successful one, a more productive one, a more fruitful one than a project proposed by anybody else, Du Bois or, or anyone else? So um, there's a passage where I think he states fairly clearly uh, that he knows that that mountain is there, and he thinks his program for reform and elevation and uh, improvement of the South is the most uh, prudent uh, approach uh, to go. Any other uh, observations or even questions on this point uh, in terms of what his agenda is?
that almost sounds a little bit like what Du Bois will be talking about in the, later, as he's also talking about a um, generational change that leads to a complete change in how people relate to each other. Yeah, are you drawing that from the fact that he says this schooling, the education and prejudice that the white man has been experiencing, if that was two centuries, odds are Ours isn't going to go away, perhaps even in a generation. Is that what you're? Well, and also in that Saturday evening talk that you gave good. us to read, good. that's where he really says it out loud, is that it's going to take us 50 to 100 years. That's multiple generations. OK. OK, so, the, okay, so this is, this, he's, in, he's in it for the long haul. <laughs> we have no choice, precisely. I mean, this is what the, the hand we've been dealt, folks. Uh, and this is the, the best prospects, prospects as he, he can paint it. We'll see. Yeah, Where that, Du Bois shakes out on that this. That multi-generational approach is also a little bit Marxian in you know, that eventually the generations are going to create a change. Uh, I wouldn't Boyce call it Marxist, but go ahead. Much more Marxist when he starts talking. When I think of Marx, I think of class conflict. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I don't see that... Uh, uh, in uh, Washington. Uh, you, you can draw my attention to a passage, I can be persuaded, but I don't, I don't see Marx there, but we'll leave that out there. Go ahead. Well, I, I guess I just have a question because something I was looking for in his argument as I read, and I've never really found in Washington. I wonder if I'm not seeing it, but you know, he makes observations here and there about the inconsistency of the amount of money and the quality of materials provided in black schools for, um, for children. Mm -hmm. Part of the Freedmen's Bureau. Last portion. But that still sounds to me like do it because it's the right thing versus a, a clear, solid understanding that nobody, few people invest their tax money in something that doesn't directly benefit them. And this argument that this is going to indirectly benefit you that he's making seems to, has always seemed weak to me. Okay. Does he at any point give any other 
reason for or suggestion to black America for how to go about obtaining this education that he sees as such an essential piece of their of his plan being carried out, um, but that he recognizes has to be funded by white politicians who his only tool for that is applying to their better sense, which... You mean their better sense or their self-interest? I see those as two different things. Well, I guess... Is he appealing to the better angels of their nature, as Lincoln put it in his first inaugural, or is he saying, this is going to promote your interests? Yeah, I see those as two different things. Okay. Um, does anybody want to fill that in or help answer that? Or see it that way as well. Uh, the, I think what what Washington would first come, what he would first call to our mind is the success of Tuskegee Institute. Uh, that when he first was asked to become the head of Tuskegee, it was a shanty shack, right? And you know, like thirty acres or something. It was pretty much nothing. It was just just hard scrabble plot. And then what happens in 5, 10, 15 years, it becomes uh, this economic, yeah, I mean, it's self-sufficient. I'm sorry? But he, he, doesn't he list his donors as being a, a lot of his donors for that from the North? Yeah, sure. But they're so also... Education for black children in the South has to be funded by Southern counties. It's also from the South. Those aren't mutually exclusive, okay? So simply because he knows... I'm sorry? I didn't see the southern donors in his list. The key southern donors for him is the uh, state legislature. He has to make an argument that the state legislature should even fund public schools for blacks. You know how hard this argument is to make? Because there aren't very many public schools for white kids. <laughs> okay? Uh, this was, this, we'll see this crop up in the Brown v. Board of Education decision when... Chief Justice Warren says, you know, when we look historically at the history, historically at the history, when we look at the history of public education in the United States, we run into a problem. There were a number of common schools north of the Mason-Dixon line. But when you look in the South, especially in the 17, 1800s, it's almost non-existent, okay? That most of the education was done privately through tutors, et cetera, or you just sent your kid abroad. Um, so not, not only does he have to to persuade them that, that the state should fund education for blacks, he has to prove that, that the state should be even involved in education. Okay? And so the only way you're going to do that is precisely if you teach white taxpayers. How many black taxpayers do you have, after all? Principally, if you teach white taxpayers that it's, you're better off funding schools for blacks than prisons. They're going to go one way or the other. Oh, okay, but go ahead. So I think he does point out that it is in their self-interest that they work hard, that, you know, wouldn't you rather come locally to somebody that you're going to get a good quality product from versus somebody you don't know, blah, blah, blah. I remember him using that in an argument, that it is in their self-interest to do it. Yeah, and Tuskegee was an example. Who was, who was making the bricks? They were making them at Tuskegee. And he says the key is if blacks become really good at these things that white people need, we won't be dependent on whites. They will be dependent on us. We have to become economically productive enough that whites will see us as useful contributors to their society. That they will come. They fine. They won't invite you out to dinner. So what? If they're coming to have you shoe their horses, black in their boots, 
fix their wagons. If you are the ones that they find, man, you know, not only do they do it cheaper, they do it better than that guy I've been doing it, uh, doing it with uh, for the last few years. If, I, if the blacks are, uh, in the community become known as the ones who are provide, providing the superior product, that his argument, debatable proposition, but his argument is their pocketbook will drive their policies and eventually, he hopes, their politics. Okay? Well, I, I certainly don't question your assertion that, that a very large percentage of this is, is uh, appealing to their personal interest. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that she does have a point that there's a certain appeal there to the emotional, the intellectual, and even the spiritual. In right in the middle of it with the poem, you know, there is no escape through law of man or God from the inevitable in the poem. The law of changeless justice bind oppressed with oppressor with oppressed and close as sin and suffering, suffering joined. We march to fair abreast. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not an appeal to the to the heart and to the and to the conscience. What is? Well, what does he follow? What is the paragraph that follows that emphasize? Well, and that goes to what I said a while ago. He starts out nearly 16 million hands are either going to help you pull the load or they're going to tear it down. What does that sound like? Does that sound like an appeal to justice or an appeal to self-interest? Well, that's what I'm saying. He's mixing it. Sure. He's, well, he's, he's definitely mixing it. But, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. Mm-hmm. Oh, way in the back. What I find interesting is on page 354 in about the second paragraph where he talks about That middle paragraph, right at the top of that paragraph. So it's like he's saying, you know, guys, wake up. We can't just because the Emancipation Proclamation has been signed and is done deal doesn't mean we're free. We have lived in this situation for generations, just like the whites have, and it's not going to change overnight. Yeah, you're going to have to appeal to their self-interest and that pat on the back for doing a good deed to get done what we want to get done. And if it means taking a few generations, then that's the course we're going to have to take. Okay. I mean, essentially, he's saying what we would say today is suck it up and deal. You know, this is how it is. Suck it up and deal with it. I guess that if we're trying to understand what he's actually saying, too, then it would follow that we need to what does he mean by suck it up and deal? And and I guess what I see, and again, correct me if I've mistaken something here, but you know, he says, um, he uses phrases like, when the colored man is educated up to the point of reasoning, or he at another point tells someone, as you come and see, all of our gentlemen of the exposition, as we present to you our humble effort at an exhibition of our progress, you must not expect over much. And his description of the jobs that Tuskegee is training 
black Americans to perform, mm -hmm. he suggests is exactly as it should be, that it seems to me his response to how do we find a way to work together is let black Americans fulfill the role that their white America has assigned to them, and let's fulfill that role well, have enough to eat, have a place to live, have clothes to wear, and someday things will change. That's where it needs to start for Washington, right? Is that what you're saying? That yes. that's his argument, that this is where we have to begin? Yeah. And, and notice, why, does, why do we have to begin here? Why do we have to begin with what many at that time would just consider menial labor? Okay. What is Washington's argument? We're not prepared educationally, intellectually to do more than that. Okay, this, yeah, that's we have to start, yeah, because that's where we are. That's his argument. Okay, we'll see what Du Bois says, but his argument is we start where we are, uh, which is, by the way, I can't believe I have to point this out, at the bottom. Why do we start at the bottom? Because that's what life has dealt us. Now the question is, how do we elevate? Guess whose cooperation we're going to need? Whites. What whites? Southern whites. Okay, I'm sorry, the chorus back there. What'd you say? Told herself her joke. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right, go ahead. In other words, do the jobs other white Americans won't do. I find it incredibly interesting the way you just described the argument as being so similar to what Representative Rogula said this morning about Thomas Friedman and the world is flat. More things change, right? Okay. I was just going to respond to Gil and say that I, I don't get the sense that Booker is saying that you need to do the jobs that whites won't do. He's saying that, you need, that blacks need to educate themselves on doing the jobs that whites do and do it better. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't get it no, as no, a... That's exactly no, 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 no. Friedman's argument. Okay, cacophony here. Hold on. Cher, <laughs> go ahead. I think he's saying that you need to do the job that you have to do, and whites need to help you do this job because the whites in the South need to help you because it's for darn sure the people in the North are not going to. I think the people... That, He's talking about they're not going to help the whites in the north. They okay. could hear us. Well, let me, let, me add, let me just add something to here. Um, what happened to labor, the concept of labor in the slave south? And what might Washington also be battling against here? Well, he, yeah, he says hard work was like slave work. Oh, if you're working okay. hard, you're acting like a slave. If you're working hard, if you're working with your hands, right? blue collar versus white collar, to put it simply, Okay. What happened in, slave, in, 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 in the slave South was work became degraded. And what Washington, I believe, is trying to do is rehabilitate the concept of an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. Because slavery has degraded it in the minds of whites and in the minds of blacks. Blacks are like, phew, am I, there's, there's that... That, uh, that passage where he calls, uh, where he talks about the, the black man who decides he's being called to preach. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, 355. It's, that was good. You got to laugh to keep yeah. from crying here. I think I've called to preach. 
Right at the beginning, right at the top of 355, it secures the cooperation of the whites and does the best thing possible for the black man. An old colored man in a cotton field in the middle of July. Gee, you guys can sort of identify with that today. It's not the middle, but might as well be. Lifted his eyes toward heaven and said, The cotton is so grassy, the work is so hard, and the sun is so hot, I believe this darky am called to preach. In other words... This old man no doubt stated the true reason why not a few enter school. Educate the black man mentally and industrially. And there will be no doubt of his prosperity, okay, which will shift us to the, con- the topic of education, if we can do that in a second. But here, I mean, in a, in a kind of funny, uh, playing on the, the old darky jokes way, uh, Washington is pointing out that, yeah, for, for many blacks, the last thing they're going to want to do is what they've been doing and what their parents have been doing for generations. Quote-unquote slave work. Right? The, the, the first thing they, or the, the, that they would rather do is anything but use their hands, anything but labor in the fields, anything but something that calls them outside of the house rather than inside of the house, learning something more intellectual, uh, thinking of themselves as preachers rather than as farmers. Here, and then we'll come back here. I, well, we, it wasn't a sign, but I read um, Booker T. Washington's Up From Slavery a few times. And in Up From Slavery, Booker T. Washington, at least to me, appears to be a realist, uh, at least for his times. Okay. Um, he needs to not only get, or at least in the book, he seems to not only get have to get blacks to realize where they are and whites to realize where they are. I mean, one of the things that really strikes my students when they read up from slavery is you, he had he had Afro-Americans coming to Tuskegee and put them in a room. And he very quickly finds that these young blacks or older blacks who have lived nothing but in the slave quarters, they don't know how to operate a bed. They don't know how to use the sheets and the blankets because they've slept on straw or, or plain dirt. They <coughs> silverware. I mean, things that we would take for granted. He says in the in uh, from slavery that in order for the for for black men to be accepted into white society, they have to learn the ways of white society. They have to learn those things. And again, I don't, I don't whether that's right or wrong. I'm not. I'm not making a judgment there, but. It's a realist. He's looking at the way things are. And if you have that black, if you have that prejudice down in the South that blacks are beneath white people, look, they can't even operate a bed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes it easy to say that they're they're inferior. He needs to bring them so that they can feel good about themselves and be contributing. Okay, good. This is this was the point where I didn't have a whole lot of background knowledge coming into the class. <coughs> and what. I may be missing a lot here, but what I'm almost getting from Booker T. Washington is that he'd like to take all blacks and put them at this level where you're learning skilled labor mm-hmm. and not reaching for the stars. Not, and I, I may be missing something, but if, is he not taking into consideration individual differences? How, how do you? How did you guys read it? Because I think the readings actually answer that question. Does Washington believe all blacks have to start at the bottom? No. In 1895, 1900, 1888, um, how, did, how would he answer that this particular point? 
Uh, I mean, because Du Bois definitely is going to hammer him on that, on this question. And it's the question of education. What is education according to Booker T. Washington? And there's, there's not, it, it's related to work, obviously. Uh, but what is it? What is its goal? What are its means? And then compare that with uh, 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 Du Bois, which we need to get to in a few minutes here. So let's see if we can answer that point with Washington, especially focusing on the, on the subject of education, try to get a handle on that as robustly as we can, and then we'll move to Du Bois and see uh, what he thinks about this. Uh, what does Washington say about um, beginning at the bottom versus the top, especially with regards to education, and what, what is the destiny for every black man? Is it the same thing? Is it, let's you know, every black man should go to a Tuskegee-type or a Hampton Institute-type college? From what I have read of, of Booker T. Washington, I haven't read as much as some of you, but I, I kind of think that he believes that there are exceptions, but overall, it does seem that he does. I mean, on page 357, mm -hmm. uh, almost the bottom paragraph at the end of that second to last paragraph, he's talking about no race can prosper until it learns that there is as much dignity in telling a bill as in writing a poem. So I think he does believe that some will be able to do that, but overall, as a black population, it's, I mean, he just says right after that, it is the bottom of life we must begin and not at the top, nor should we permit our grievances to overshadow our opportunities. Okay. So there's a little bit of it that I don't know. I just, I have a hard time seeing that he feels that that is a, a capable for the black population as a majority. Okay, that, that's the, the, precisely the point I wanted to get to. But you had your hand up a bit ago. Well, it was a while ago. It was <laughs> wasn't that long ago. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I haven't forgotten you, so it could have been that long. <laughs> well, as I was reading through it, to me, Booker T here sounds like um, Bill Cosby today. Yeah. If you've been listening to him lately. Uh, okay, is that good, bad? or yeah, Okay. Good. He, he wants... He wants the African community to take a little more responsibility. He wants to work through education. Um, it, it begins at home, is what he's saying. Yeah, Cosby's definitely to, saying that. improve things. Okay. And I think he's kind of reflecting that. I was just going to offer that observation. Okay, good. If we can have limit comments to education, because I really want us to finish that about Washington, so that we, and then we need to move on to Du Bois, because we only have about a half hour left here. Uh-huh. He says, then the proud fog with his beaver hat, kid gloves, and walking cane, who has done no little to injure the cause of education, of education south by industrial training, would be brought down to something practical and useful. So I don't think he sees a college education as anything practical and useful. He still sees them needing to start at the bottom. And maybe in the south, that is the predominant. Okay. Okay, but in the north, I think that's why you have two vastly opposing views between the two men, is because Washington has grown up under that, that oppression, starting as a slave. He is a, has started at the bottom and has pulled himself up, mm -hmm. but he started at the bottom. And so that's how he views life. 
So he may be misperceiving reality. He and may think that most blacks are in his position. Okay. Why does he do that? Well, I, I think, to be honest, that it sounds like if you're finding yourself at the bottom of the rung, you have two choices. I mean, the, the labor opportunities available to African Americans at that time were actually the exact same labor that they were doing as slaves. So at that point, they have two options. One, you can fight like Du Bois did to try to open up opportunities in other types of labor, the types of labor that white society has dignified and decided that they're above doing these other types of labor mm -hmm. and open that up. Or you can do what Booker T. Washington is doing and try to make it look like and sound like the labor we've been doing as slaves all this time actually is dignified and is not degrading and is at a par with when you receive other payment for it. Mm -hmm. um, so it sounds to me like he's really, at, I mean, at the heart of it, he is advocating for education to teach black Americans to do what they've been doing all along as slaves. I mean, how because does it take? Why, why does he to do it? Okay, well, I want to know why why does why does he think this is the recipe for success? Because you can't fight because the whites for the jobs. But Greek Greek is not gonna feed you. That's yeah. Yeah. Greek is not gonna he feed is you. Very, it's Lee, Lee, hierarchy of needs. You did, I honestly don't honestly I I Let's try not to hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, seriously, hold it, hold it, wait, hold it, guys, we've done very well, collective we, and I, I myself, we've done very well not to talk over one another, okay, let's, let's, I know it's the end of a long day, but let's be patient, especially if you've said your piece, and if people are responding to it, let them finish their response before you jump back in, okay, and also, that will free up more time for other people to chime in. Page 368, that the real purpose of education is to make men useful, honest, and liberal. Useful, honest, and liberal. Liberal is another word for free. Like me. Oh, sure. Sure. Former slave who goes to get an education, practical education of an economic future that compels the President of the United States to invite him to stand on the stage with him. It demands the attention of the white world. It says, I am on deep, dark death row of the Jim Crow South, mm -hmm. and I must compel the white society to ensure my future because I am economically viable. 
just as I was as a slave. Mm -hmm. However, I am free to make my own choices about making my own bed and making my own food and, and, and compelling my children to go to school. I am not Du Bois of Boston. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just for what he thinks of himself, he couldn't just assume that everybody should have to, I mean, even if he was a slave at one point, because he feels like, you know, I mean, there's gotta be something in him that realizes that he has the intellectual capacity to be able to get these people to follow him and do this, but, but really, I mean, and when he talks about, on page 369, right in the middle, he's talking about education, He's saying really what it needs for anybody, white or black, is to give that person courage to stand in front of cannon and fails to, or if it doesn't, sorry, it fails to give him moral courage to stand up in defense of right and justice is a failure if it, if it fails to do that. And to me, that is saying, you know, if you know what's right, if you know what justice is, you have to be educated intellectually, not just you know, out there working, not just the physical type of. Yeah, that, that passage, though, it seemed like he was emphasizing character as opposed to intellect, on my reading. Well, and it, it could be, but I still think, I mean, if you're talking about moral courage, being able to stand up in defense of right and justice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it takes a brain to figure know. out what's I just. It, I think it okay. might be more, a little more than that. Well, let's get back to, to the question I was trying to get us to answer. Um, what does he believe for the greater majority of blacks <coughs> in the United States, and we know where they're located, is the greatest need in 1890s, 19-teens. What is the greatest need? And answer that, and then ask yourself, this is Booker T. Washington, how far Greek and Latin and theology and law will get you to supply those needs, to fulfill those needs. I think that's the way he sets up the proposition. If you believe the premise, then he thinks you don't need to be Einstein to figure out what the solution is. Don't we have philosophers and educated people and artists and these type of things after the basic needs are fed? That's my point. And you have your basic needs fed, and then people can go into philosophy and arts and get better uh, expanding your mind. But if you're starving to death, you're dying. Okay. And again, we're gonna we're gonna get a response from Du Bois on this very point. So I know you guys are like, Zip, Zip. okay. But he's um, wrong. Let's. I'll, I'll. I won't ask any. <laughs> I'm going to rule that one out of order. <laughs> Stricken from the record. Um, we'll, ant we'll have you guys chime in, and then we got to move to Du Bois. Back, okay, and then we'll on get. 365, he says exactly what Mike was saying. He, down to the bottom of that page, he says, Here then are the three prime conditions for growth, for civilization food, clothing, shelter. Yet we have been the slaves of form and custom. To such an extent that we have failed in a large measure to look matters squarely in the face and meet actual needs. Which is pretty much what he just said. Okay. 
this is what I think amounts to, of course, he antedates Maslow, but this is Maslow's hierarchy of need. If you're hungry, if you're cold, you know, if you don't have clothes on your back or feet, shoes on your feet, you can't be worried about Latin and Greek or even arithmetic. And so I think he's saying that we have to start where we are and we have to build on that. And then it will come. And we can't be too eager to want everything right away. Okay. Good. I was just going to say, you know, point out the passage where he talks about Hebrew and Greek and so forth. You know, he starts that sentence that boys have been taken from the farms yes. and educating these things. Yes. Eighty percent of his students are from rural districts and they depend on agriculture. Um, you know, so he's not talking about the city people, the people that align a university necessarily. Mm -hmm. He's talking about that the vast majority are, are rural people and that it'd be important to be able to raise uh, 50 bushels of corn to an acre instead of 30. Learning how, knowing how to sew a button. Right. The gospel of the toothbrush, as he put it, as well. Hygiene, these sorts of things. Go ahead. And of course, he daily faces the, the, the new form of slavery, sharecropping, and the ongoing expectations. So I, I can empathize with him. Like, let's make a way to basically outbuy but we keep owning money to because of the crooked sharecropping system. That keeps you in a de facto way enslaved. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. No? I think the overall uh, idea of <coughs> what he actually preaches for both uh, black and white people is um, education. He's talking of, about education and also uh, a particular kind of education. Christianity. <coughs> Sir? I'm just saying a particular kind of education because Du Bois is going to talk about education as well, so okay. I want to make sure we distinguish the one from the other. Or okay. Uh, but, I, but what I. What I'm saying here is that he's talking about educated South, I mean, the, the dominant uh, classes of, of the South, if they are also educated and have the, have, uh, the, uh, the knowledge of Christianity, uh, I mean, they, have, uh, they are Christianized, as you mentioned, that there will be less uh, racism, you know, that... Uh, and also with the black people, so they will be able to live in, uh, you know, in, in in harmony. So that what I feel is that he talks about education. Education also um, can be um, basic learning, you know, skills, trade can also be um, moving forward. I, I don't see how how you can. Uh, just you know, get uh, move from uh, slavery, and I just and just immediately, uh, you know, get just I mean start working as to uh, towards uh, uh, college education. For example, you got to uh, find something at least to to survive first. Okay, good. So last last comments on Washington before we move. Okay, so I'm sorry, I did kind of. I never get animated or emotional about the things I see. <laughs> he makes me physically ill. Always has. I have the same problem in my school. All right. But, but I'm trying to, like, I've been trying to, Good. to not get too upset. But, yeah, he just, the guy just makes me sick. But, I mean. Duly noted. He really does. You know, he's, like, he 
be total BS, and he doesn't see it. Like, he gives that example in his thing about education, and he's actually talking to white America, example in New York, of the black man who gets an industrial education, goes in to get his job, and his white colleagues walk out of the job rather than be forced to work with a black man. And in that example, Washington uses it to say to white America, it is to, in your self-interest to be kindly to such a soul, to help him up and support him in his new job so that he can make money for himself and not turn into a drunk bum on the street like this guy did. Mm -hmm. But in the course of this great moral lesson for white America, he misses the point that this kid did exactly what he suggested, got the education, was doing an industrial job, and still couldn't get anywhere. Still Why couldn't could not he? Meet his basic Why couldn't he get anywhere? Because white America won't let him. Okay, so what needs to be done with white America? What's his plan for whites? He's got a plan for blacks, and you're right. Here was one guy who said, man, I did exactly what you told me to do. What's his plan for whites? Okay. On a consistent basis. Okay, on page 367 in the last paragraph, about halfway down, he says it needs no profit to tell the character of our future civilization when the poor white boy in the country districts of the South receives one dollar's worth of education and your poor and your boy twenty dollars worth, meaning the North, when one never enters a library or reading room and the other has libraries and reading rooms in every ward and town. He criticizes the North to me more than he does the white race. Because in the paragraph above that, he tells the North, you of the great and prosperous North still owe to your unfortunate brethren of the Caucasian race in the South, no less than to yourselves, a serious and uncompleted duty. Since returning to their destitute homes after years of war to face blasted hopes, devastation, and shattered industrial system, you ask them to add to their own burdens that of preparing in education, politics, and economics in a few short years for citizenship for millions of former slaves. In other words, he's saying, you guys don't get it, you people in the North that already have all this stuff and are living the good life. Down here in the South, we're destroyed. You're not even educating your white kids. Mm -hmm. And now you're expecting the people in the South who don't even educate their own kids to educate former slaves? Get real. Okay. Let's move to Du Bois now. <laughs> uh, let's, let's cut right to the chase. Let's talk about education. What does Du Bois think education is? And, and in his mind, what is the great need? Uh, well, we'll just leave it at that. We'll, we'll start there. What, what is that? Does he agree with Booker T. Washington about educating people? What, what's, what's, his, uh, what's his understanding of education? You said it's higher. Uh, that presumes that Booker T. Washington wants lower education. Okay. What is higher about the type of education that Du Bois is uh, arguing for on, be, on the part of blacks? What is what what is what is education according to Du Bois? So he wants to get the top students 
students and really work with them so that they could in turn inspire and educate. All right, so what Du Bois is saying is, does Du Bois not know that there are a whole lot of black people at the turn of the century that need to be clothed, fed, housed? Is Du Bois unaware of conditions in the South? No. He's aware. Now, so they both see that reality. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to presume that on both of them. I'm going to say, oh, Du Bois had, believes what he believes because he's unaware. I mean, he lived down there. He knows what life is like there. Maybe a good reason why he didn't stay down there. <laughs> uh, if he knows that, why does he make the argument for the talented ten? Uh, why does he think that there is this subset, yes, even a small minority of blacks that need to be saved? Black leadership. Go ahead. Black leadership. They need to have, they need to have role models within their community like any other group would have, have role models. They need to have a voice. They need to have... There we go. Thank you. You have someone to aspire to. Okay, so they need it for leadership. They need it for uh, a model for what they could accomplish as well. And to be prepared to be the teachers of the next generation coming up. You've got to have people who have the academic background in order to raise the next group that's coming up. When you when when Booker T's plan gets them to the next step. Somebody's got to be ready to train them, to teach them, to raise them up the social ladder. That, and he also points out something about places like Amston Institute, yeah. mm -hmm. Tuskegee. Where do they get their teachers? Yeah, what his, uh, it's not as if Du Bois does not think agricultural schools are a waste of time. He says, yeah, we should have those. And guess who's going to train those? Guess where those teachers are going to come from? They're not going to come from Tuskegee. <laughs> They're going to come from places that don't merely emphasize brick making, and masonry, and blacksmithing. They're going to get these people from liberal arts colleges. That, the, that his claim is that the majority of the teachers of the bottom rung, as it were, are this talented tenth that didn't just aspire to learning how to sew a button, but actually learned things like law, theology, Greek and Latin. Is the Calvinian a minority in the black community? Of course. Of course it is. So if you're going to talk about a minority, which is fine, that's going to work great. But for the majority of the people, they're going to have to start at the basics. Is that not correct? I'm just asking you to make Du Bois's argument. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say whether I agree or disagree, but I, I just want you I just. It looks like to me they're going to have to have a combination of both of them. Because you're going to have to have... Thank you. A combination of the two. Exactly. Because you cannot have one void of the other. Okay. Is that Du Bois's argument? Or is that you kind of synthesizing the two of them? I can't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The third way. Go ahead. I think maybe it is. And I'll read from... It's on page uh, 370, which is the... Binder. Binder on page 487. Binder 487. Yeah. Okay. So it's on the page 370 of that. Wait. So, I mean, it's binder page 487, but there's like two pages. Yeah. 
Oh, it's not on my 47. Some souls of black folk are of our spiritual striving. Okay. Okay, so uh, about uh, third of the way down. Um, he says, work, culture, liberty, all these we need, not singly, but together, not successively, but together, each growing and aiding each, and all striving toward that vaster ideal that swims before the Negro people. So he is saying that we need all of those things, but we don't need them necessarily in the order of work and then <coughs> education and culture. And so Du Bois' reading of Washington is that he sees an incomplete yeah, solution? that's what I think. I think this is a direct, like almost stab at him, saying we don't have to do it in that progression. We don't have to just... Okay, Raymond? You know, we were talking about how we need black, you know, leadership for the talented tenth, and also we need teachers. But also, you know, in the conservation of the races, he talks about that the Negro civilization has not yet contributed yes. to the world, and so yes. having this talented tenth would allow them to contribute. And then you'll have your Washingtons, your Lincolns. Contribute in what way? Be, 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 say some more about in, that. In either. Like Washington or Lincoln, politically or in terms of art, excellent culture, excellent philosophy. So notice the, the title. And I, when, I, when I'm teaching this with my students, I usually begin with that very early essay of Du Bois's, "The Conservation of the Races." He thinks <laughs> that certain races have made their world-edifying contributions. In other words, what has been pr produced by uh, whites or I forget how he breaks up the different races, but what has been produced isn't just for those races alone, but it benefits all of humanity. And blacks have yet, as a people, to make their distinctive contribution. It's not that they haven't made any, because he goes on in The Souls of Black Folk to point out a few things. Music, for example, in the United States. Folklore. Right? In some respects, language. There you, we see the stirrings of the black soul, right? The souls of black folk, that spiritual part of them, right? Uh, his claim is that blacks have not yet made their contribution, and he believes they will, but not if they all just go to places like Hampton and Tuskegee, if those remain strictly agricultural colleges. We know that it didn't, because Ralph Ellison, for example, studied at Tuskegee, and he discovered T.S. Eliot, not in a classroom, but in the library. It wasn't assigned to him. He just chanced upon it and tripped out over the poem and said, what on earth is going on here? He started looking up all those crazy footnotes on his own. Nobody told him to do that, but he discovered that in a library. He discovered books in a, in a library at an institution that was primarily devoted to agriculture. But what, what's, what's key here, I think, this is why I'm spending much time on it, uh, is Du Bois thinks that with, if, with just an emphasis if this is a fair reading of, of Washington, just an emphasis on mere needs of the, of, the, of the mere necessities, food, shelter, clothing, that you ignore other needs, needs of the spirit, needs of the soul, needs of the mind. And maybe there are kids where it would be a waste of time to throw Plato at them or Shakespeare uh, when, they, when, when they should be learning how to you know, shoe a horse or what have you. But what about the black kids who could resonate with that, learn those things, be animated, inspired by those things, and then learn to make their contribution to move to those higher levels. 
when we start talking about things, the, the, the principal movers uh, and, and motivators of culture, not just the food in the mouth or in the belly, right? Clothes on your back. Uh, but where are the poets, the writers, the statesmen going to, be, to come from out of the black race if all we seem to emphasize is what do I need to take care of my physical needs today? That, that, that definitely seems to be uh, uh, Du Bois's uh, thrust here. Maybe I'm looking at this with, from a historical view with, with hindsight, but in the modern age, the moving class has been the middle class. Washington's proposal doesn't create a black middle class. Du, du Bois... He thinks it will. I well, mean, you may disagree with him, but yeah, he thinks but it, it will produce a du middle Bois class. Du Bois is going to create it quicker. It, it's going to create it much quicker. It's, okay. going, to put it, it's going to take black society and, and it's going to move it out, of the, out from behind the veil. If you're just doing the, the, the manual labor, you almost become like the untouchables in India. You're a forgotten class. We, Take we go granted. to you when we need right. bricks. We go to you when we need the horse done. But what you can contribute to society as a whole. I mean, we went to the state house today. I mean, none of us would probably decorate our house like some of those hallways were mm -hmm. maybe, might be a little overly decorated. But we look at that. Oh, and our we look at it and we go, but we're in awe at, at it. I mean, black society in the United States never had the chance to really get there. I mean, there were anomalies, like, I guess, I don't mean to say that in a bad sense, yeah. but there were anomalies. But Du Bois is saying, we need to have this as a regular thing. An we expectation. Need to, we need to have a, middle, a black middle class. Okay. I mean, we, we look at today's papers and it's always black middle class values. That where that the, the press at least is, is always jamming down our throats. How there's more of a black middle class, etc. That's what gets things tends to get things done. Okay, Aaron, I forgot you as well. Oh, that was no. Marie said it. It's okay. Okay. I'll think of something else. Well, and going back to um, what Ray said too, as far as statementship, um, Du Bois makes an argument for. Uh, why it's important to train the mind, and on, on page 487, mm -hmm. a little higher up than uh, what Sherilyn talked about, he says, the training of the schools we need today more than ever, the training of deft hands, quick eyes and ears, and above all, the broader, deeper, higher culture of gifted minds and pure hearts, the power of the ballot we need in sheer self-defense, else what shall save us from a second slavery? So he brings in the political in a way that is not as apparent, right. uh, and maybe even, well, it's not as apparent in Booker T. Washington. By the way, um, the reason why I assigned the uh, Lewis Harlan's essay, uh, Booker T. Washington Biographical Perspective, was to point out what, what Washington was doing personally behind the scenes with regards to political activism. He knew that if it was known that he was funding court cases against segregation, uh, that his money would dry up like that. Okay, uh, it had to be done on the sly, given his public uh, uh, fame uh, and you know celebrity. Uh, he gave a talk at uh, Tuskegee before uh, he left the scene. We know more about what Washington thought of Douglas than we do of Douglas. This is opinion of Washington, and simply put. Uh, 
Uh, Booker T. Washington wrote a biography of Frederick Douglass. And if you read the introduction or preface to that biography uh, and other statements that he makes where he comments on Frederick Douglass, he essentially thinks that Douglass's work was appropriate for its time. It was a work of destruction. Ooh. Slavery needed to be destroyed, but we are now in a new era. And the era in which we live is an era of production. It's an era of uplift, of being constructive. And in that sense, he was essentially saying of Douglas that he was an anachronism. His ways were an anachronism if we were to apply those at the turn of the century. I think I can safely say that. Go ahead. And how ironic that that's how generations then will view Washington. Washington. Oh, yeah, very good. Um, and see, I saw that it's more of an analogy today to the corporate world, but this is like a trickle-down effect is what he's saying. You, uh, you du Bois, we're back to Du Bois now? Yes. Okay, thank you. Oh. Go ahead. No, I'll bet. <laughs> oh, okay. So that by, 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 by feeding this talent to yes. dents with the and things the that they need, the things of the mind, uh, that the, the, the ripple effects would, would help all the rest. Good? Yeah, really gotcha. <laughs> um, yeah, the trickle down theory, it's exactly, exactly what he was talking about. But doesn't it seem like for a guy who was so um, adamant on we need equality now, we want you know, equal rights? Right away, we don't want to wait for anything. Doesn't it seem like the talented tenth theory would also take a little while to trickle down? Like it, that's not going to happen overnight either. So it just seems like he's so both are being realistic. Maybe so. Okay, here and then back yonder. Just a theory. You can have all the laws you want um, to help the black people in America, but it's you know changing the mindset of the white people. So perhaps by having this talented tent, you can prove to the white community we aren't inferior anymore. Okay, so he could be working at, on, about, on racial prejudice in that way, whereas Washington works on it in a different way? the white America believing that this is what we always believe that white people are capable of. Like, in other words, not just the laws, but the viewpoints. That's what I'm saying. Okay. To me, they're the polar ends of the whole spectrum. And Du Bois is advocating the trickle-down education. Let's start up here at the top and give people somewhere to aspire to. And, and it the best work. of our race. Right. The best of our race, make a showcase out of it, and it will give these people down here at the bottom something to aspire to, and they'll start getting to get an education, and we'll have a rise in our civilization. And Washington is saying the exact opposite, saying, look, these people don't even have clothes to wear. They don't know how to make a bed. They don't have food to eat. We're going to start at the bottom and build this up. It looks to me like things might have gone a little bit better if the two had worked together instead of nitpicking at each other's views. Because if they had worked together, it would have bridged the gap faster. Because we're, they'd be we're, working from both ends. Okay, we don't have time to answer this, but here's a question. Were their respective programs compatible? Would Washington have seen that a Du Bois approach alongside his would work, in particular in the South? Or was there something about the way Washington approached it that would make that not possible? And vice versa. I just throw that out. Don't answer it. But I just throw that out. Um, some, other, some other hands I want to get to, because we got two minutes left here. Go ahead. Uh, I don't think Du Bois saw his ideas compatible with Washington's. Um, on page, uh, 
by the of Mr. Booker T. Washington and others. Good. Yeah. Um, he says, "Do you not expect they be Black America? Do not expect that the free right to vote, to enjoy civic rights, and to be educated will come in a moment." All right. Well, he sounds kind of like Washington there. It's not going to happen overnight. So why do we differ? They do not expect to see the bias and prejudices of years disappear at the blast of the trumpet. Again, sounds just like Washington. But they are absolutely certain that the way for people to gain their resources is not by voluntarily throwing them away and insisting that they do not want them. But the way for our people to gain respect is not by continually belittling and ridiculing themselves. But on the contrary, Negroes must insist continually in season and out of season that voting is a necessity, is necessary to modern manhood that color discrimination is barbarism and that black boys need education as well as white boys. Um, which seems to me to speak for itself that, you know, he really sees Washington as saying, you know, let's, let's not even ask for equality. Let's not even ask for equal rights. Let's not even ask for the right to vote until we have bettered ourselves to the point where we can deserve it. Which, too, Du Bois is just Illogic. It doesn't make any sense, and in fact, it's going to achieve the opposite end. So he's giving up too much, exactly, at, at, right from the get-go, and that's that does the Negro no favors. Right, and in fact, helps to create an image in the minds of white America that the very concept, which he says earlier, of a black American studying higher education. The, the subjects of academic subjects is absurd. Um, Tom Fish 393 says, and so thoroughly did he learn the speech and thought of management and commercialism, ideas and material prosperity, that the picture of a lone black boy pouring over a French grammar amid the weeds and dirt of an neglected home soon seemed to him the acme of absurdities. Yes. I wonder if we'll talk to you say, Francis, it's easy to say to this, which is some of the sarcasm there. But, oh, yeah. You know, and it's having to study Lincoln. Nobody thought it's absurd that Lincoln sat on a dirt floor amongst weeds and studied Except Socrates and Plato. Like, for a little, I mean, Lincoln shouldn't have been studying that. Kraski should have been earning a, a daily wage, earn a dollar, you know? And the very idea that Lincoln could both earn his dollar, which he did through manual labor at one point in his life, and study these higher things and therefore better himself in his situation, you know, the two aren't mutually exclusive. And I don't think Du Bois suggests that the two are mutually exclusive either. Okay. He does suggest that there is some good, and there's certainly an argument to be made that you've got to have food to eat, but you've got to feed the soul. You can't neglect it. And giving up your rights and requesting your rights, demanding your rights, is just nonsensical. Uh, I'll just call you. That's well put. Um, I'll call your attention. We won't. don't have time to go there, but the last paragraph or two of the, of the essay of the training of black men is one of the most lyrical passages in all of Du Bois on this subject of what does it mean, why he emphasizes the fine arts, why he emphasizes a liberal education, what he means by it, uh, and how he thinks uh, it would elevate, uh, uh, in particular, black men at that time. Uh, we'll leave it at that. We're a little over our time, didn't intend that, but uh, good to see uh, so much fruitful discussion at this hour.